pray together. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you for bringing us together this morning to lift up your name and to praise you and to honor you together. Lord, thank you for giving us voices to sing and, and a language to try and express what is in our hearts, as inadequate as it is, Lord. But it seems that the phrase, glory to you in the highest, is as good as any. It is the one the angels expressed in the uh, announcement of the coming king born in a manger. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Because he brings peace on earth and goodwill to whom his favor rests. Oh God, we thank you this morning for your grace to us. We thank you that you've placed us right in this room today. There's no other place that, that I'd rather be this morning, Lord, than to be right here with God's people, to be praising you, to be in your family, to know that you love me and that you watch over me, that you care for me, and to, you care for my brothers and my sisters who are here. You so love the world that you desire that everyone would come into your family, who would respond to the good news of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would do your work among us, do your saving work among us. Lord, save people, save our friends, our neighbors, our family members. Our Father, I pray that, um, that you would soften their hearts. Would you shower your grace upon them, that their hearts that are formerly cold and stony and hard would be softened and would receive and respond to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would, you would open up our hearts this morning that have been cold to you. Hearts that have been unwilling to be uh, fully available to you. Lord, where there are recesses in our life that have been uh, shut out to you. Lord, would you break through those and would they open up today that, that all of our lives will be given over to all of you, Lord, I pray. Lord, we just ask that you would have full reign in our lives, that you would control our lives, that, that the Spirit of God would fill us up, that we might overflow with the evidence of your work in our lives. Lord, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would pop out of our lives and that we would be on display glorifying you in everything that we do and making an impact with those who see us in life and who watch us based on the claims we make about who we are. Um, so, Father, I pray this morning that the presence of God's Spirit and the power of God would press into our lives and change us, Father. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. About a month ago, I was uh, visiting my daughter while I was really on a course, and, and I was in Lynchburg, Virginia, and uh, my daughter and I went to uh, a church service. We went to actually an African-American Pentecostal church service in Lynchburg, Virginia. And there was uh, just two white people in that room, just Lynn and, or just Brahman and myself. And, and uh, it was an amazing service. It was a three-hour service, which was still going when we had to leave because we had another engagement. But but I can tell you that after we had been praising the Lord for about an hour and a half, we had a praise break. And a praise break is not like a sit down and take it easy, but it was like, hey, let's, let's move for a bit. And, and so, um, Dwayne, it was like, you know, when God's spirit is moving, you just move. So, 
Brother, when God's Spirit's in charge of this church, uh, so whatever he says to you, we don't want to quench the Spirit around here. Isn't it true? Isn't it about God and his Spirit? He's, a, he's the one who's in charge. So it was, it was a great service, and, and uh, the, the joy of the Lord was in our hearts, and we were all fired up, and, and uh, I, I always like African-American preachers because they always fire me up too, so I was, I was uh, just a buzz, you know, and we got in the car and drove to Bra- Brahman's place, and and I was waiting for her to get changed. I was sitting in the driveway, just sort of observing. And, and a couple of doors down from her place, a van drives into the driveway. And, and um, a guy gets out of the car. And uh, I, I, I knew he was a Christian. And uh, the only reason that I knew he was a Christian is because he was wearing a suit on Sunday. And it kind of was a giveaway because banks aren't open. So he, I figured that he had to be a Christian, but, but that was the only, only evidence that he was a Christian because he, he got out and, man, you could see written all over his face just a, a veil of disappointment. Like, it was just like, uh, just there was a thing going on, and, and it, it just caught my attention. I watched him, and then, I, and then I saw his wife get out of the car, and I knew for sure it was a bad day. Because, you know, guys can look bad and they can look like uh, it's disappointing and, and all of that. But when a woman is upset, there ain't nobody who sees that as subtle. It's like, whew, this all is not well in Christendom. And so she gets out and you could tell like it was... Whew. So she's walking, to, strutting to the door. And they got like three little kids in the back of the van. And she has no intention of having anything to do with anybody... And so he's going into the house, and, I, and she chirps at him something, and, and he, he uh, takes the keys out of his pocket and flings them up in the air like this at her, and they drop on the ground. I knew for sure it was not a good scene. <laughs> so she picks up the keys and keeps walking into the house, and he now has to go back and kind of fuss with the kids a little bit, and he opens up the door, and, and a couple of them get out. And you know how kids are? Like, they're like, ah, they're bouncy and happy and everything. Not really happy, but they're trying so hard to fix up the atmosphere of the mom and dad. And uh, he's just, he gets them, and he doesn't even bother with, completely tells one of them to go and get baby who's like in the car seat. And so then I see the, the little toddler get out, and uh, I, I gather she, because she had white leotards on. And, and she gets out of the car, and, and, and the, it was the unmistakable stain of something oozing out of the diaper, because... <laughs> the white leotards were turning into a different color as she walks into the house. And I thought, you know what? I'm really glad I'm not going into that house today. (laughs) But what hit me, I think, more than that was, I wonder how the day began, getting family, go to church, go out to dinner, because this was quite a bit after dinner by now. They'd probably gone out to dinner and just everything had fallen apart. And it was so obvious to me that things were horrible. And I wondered if the other neighbors who were perhaps looking at their Christian who lives across the street. Oh yeah, that's the Christian family. And the joy of the Lord is absent. But more than that, I thought as I sat there, I wondered how many times people have looked at my life and said, I thought he was a Christian. It doesn't seem to be 
popping out all over him today. I wondered if, um, if someone in that particular van family had been asked at church that day, hey, what's your gift? Oh, my gift is this or my gift is that. We're all excited and interested in what the gifts of the Spirit are. You know, what are they? What gifts do you have? Do you have this gift? Oh, I don't believe in that gift. That, that ceased a long time ago. Those gifts aren't available. And then we argue about gifts and all that. And you know what the deal is? I think the real question is, what about the fruit of the Spirit? Would you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning? Often the first question we ask each other is, what are your gifts so we can plug you in somewhere in the church? Where, where can you best be used? But I wonder if we shouldn't be asking, how is the fruit of the Spirit being demonstrated in your life? Because if the fruit of the Spirit isn't oozing out all over us, it's very unlikely that the gifts that we have of the Spirit are going to be of any benefit to anybody around us. And so after the Apostle Paul has written about the works of the flesh and all the nastiness and all the stuff that I saw in the van, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. He says, check this out. Listen to me, Galatians. Listen to me. Uh, Consider the fruit of the Spirit. All of this nasty stuff I've been talking about, all the stuff that messes up your life and messes up all the people you infect around you, I want you to see, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit of God. And he decides to paint this glorious picture of what it is to have the Godness of God displayed all over our life. So that when you step out of a van after leaving church, the neighborhood just can't help but seeing the glory of our great God just spill out of your life. It's one thing to sit here in church. It's another thing to get get in your van and go home and have the display of God 24-7. That's the thing that Paul wants to talk to us about here. That's what God wants to talk to us about this morning in our lives. We learned over the last couple of weeks, really, that fruit just happens. It really does. It happens because God has come into your life. That's the Christmas story. The the story we've been talking about is that not only did um, God, in the fullness of time, uh, send his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might be received as children of God. But it also says there, and not only that, he sent his spirit into our hearts. God has moved into all of our lives. And so what I'm about to share with you this morning from God's word is for each and every one of you. The difference between gifts and fruit are quite significant. Each of us have at least a gift of the Spirit that's been given to us. Some of us have multiple giftedness. But here's the deal. Every single one of us, as children of God, are to be displaying the fullness of the fruit of God. 
the fruit of the Spirit. We don't just have one or here or there or hit and miss. It's fruit of the Spirit, singular, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit. This is the essence of having God live in you. And this is what it looks like when God in you is living out of you. That's what we're going to talk about. It's the new creation design that is now put on display. You are now new creatures. The old is gone. Behold, everything is new. This is what new creation looks like. And you are a section of God's garden. Displaying the fruit of God. As we said, fruit happens to those who, by belonging to Christ, really believe in Him. They've traded effort for the grace of faith. And they've released their personal expectations and obstacles in favor of God's precious promises. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us different. So... If you are a believer here this morning, the most important question for you is this. Where is God in your life? And what I mean by that is how much of him is impacting how much of you? That's the real essence of the fruit of the Spirit. All that God is and has is available to you. And the question for each of us is are we living by the fruit of the Spirit, or based on the fear of failure. Those are the two diametrically opposed ways to live. Live by the fruit of the Spirit, or live by the fear of failure. Now, you will either be bearing fruit, or living by fear. Last or a couple sunny nights ago, Pastor Kelvin took us on an exploratory journey of the 12 spies who were entering into the, um, or were, were assigned to go and check out the land of promise. The promised land, we call it the land of promise. And I thought it was an ideal case study to circle back on this morning, Kelvin, if I can, to set us up, before we barge our way into God's garden and start looking around at the fruit, and say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I got that, I got that, I don't have that, I better clean up on that, I better work on that, I've got to for sure work on that. Before we barge our way into God's garden, we need to check out a case study in the Old Testament which sets us up to understand the distinction between those who remain in that garden and display the fruit of God Versus those who live their lives wandering around, struggling with the fears and failures that come with relying on the flesh. Let me take you way back for a moment to the time of God's proclamation that he was going to rescue his people out of Egypt. Take you back to the Exodus. And let me tell you that it's important for us to understand that the exodus of God's people from Egypt is the Old Testament rehearsal for the New Testament exodus of people out of the slave market of sin in, the, in this New Testament context where Christ has rescued us and set us free. So when we are to understand the nature of the teachings from the 
land of the promise and all that went on there in the Old Testament, we're to understand that the land of promise, the promised land, is not an illustration or picture of heaven. It's an illustration or picture of being released from captivity to live in the fruitfulness of God. That's why when God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verse 8, he says to him, I'm going to take you and the people of God, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, I'm going to take you to a land that's fruitful, where you will be free to worship me. In fact, he even said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can go out and worship me. And so you have this picture, this Old Testament dress rehearsal, the land of promise is going to be a picture of what it's going to be like to live in the New Testament land of promise, which is land of fruitfulness, of bearing much fruit. So the same human challenges that took place there are replayed for us in the New Testament community as well. And so you have 12 spies. God has made a promise. I, am, I want you to send 12 spies into the land, and this is in Numbers. By the time we get to Numbers, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, God says, send spies into the land to, sh- to look out, to look at the land I am giving to you. Not to scout out and see if you can take it or not. This is the land I'm giving to you. And so, by the time we get to... Uh, Numbers 13, verse 26, the report comes back, and, the, and, and 10 of the spies, or the spies say, you know what? The land is exactly how God said it would be. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's exactly what God has promised to us. It's fruitful. Here's, in fact, they said, here's some of its fruit. Unfortunately, from there on, things went downhill. In Numbers 13 and verse 31, instead of trusting God by faith, having witnessed it themselves, they saw that God was what he said, what he promised, they saw with their own eyes was true. Just like you look around and you see Brothers and sisters who are following Christ and you've read about the fruit of the Spirit and you actually see it with your own eyes in their lives. You say it's true. God said he would move into our lives and we'd display the fruit of the Spirit. It's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people who have that in their life. But, verse 31, Numbers 13. The men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. No kidding. That's the point. From the very beginning of the book to the very end, it is all about God overpowering the things we can't do in our own strength. And the fruit of the Spirit is no different. That's why before I traipse you into the garden, into God's garden to look at fruit, I want you to know up front, not a single one of these things you can manufacture yourself. You can't in your own strength, your own determination, your own uh, 
self-will, your own behavioral modification. You can't become Christ-like. And the tendency of all of us is to look at it and say, that thing is too big for me. We look at it with the eyes of our flesh. Whatever God asks us to do, we say, hey, that's too big for me. Yes. That's why you have to trust in God. That's why it's all about releasing yourself to God's charge. But there was a couple of guys who had a different attitude in that group. One of them was Caleb. And in verse 8, this is what he says. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. What have we been talking about all these weeks? Being led by the Spirit of God. This is about God leading our lives, fully in charge of our lives, being given full control of our lives. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. God will take us into this fruitful land. God will carry us into the land of promise. It's God who says we'll have it. If we trust in God, we will. And it says of Caleb, when you get down to verse 24 of Numbers 14, that this man had a different spirit. And what was his different spirit? It wasn't that God had given him something special that nobody else could have. All it says in the text is, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He just believed what God said. He simply took God at his word. God says, we're going into that land. Of course there are giants in that land. Of course there are obstacles that I can't handle with my own strength. I'm not going in there to do this. God is leading us in. He'll do it. So before we go in, and I think we're about ready, the deal of this faith versus flesh thing is are you going to settle in your life for spiritual adolescence of fear all your life? Fear and anxiety and looking at things. And you, you can tell when you're, when you're into the flesh mode because you, you, you look at things and you say, I can't do that. It's too tough for me. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too anxious. I'm too nervous about that. Exactly, because you're not trusting in God. Or, by faith, will we bear much fruit? There are two ways to live. My flesh can't, and be afraid your whole life. Because it's true, your flesh can't. Or by faith, the Lord will lead me, and I'll bear much fruit. Fruit bearers, by their faith, display this different spirit. So this is how God's garden grows. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What does God in you have in store for you to become? That's what this is all about. It has nothing to do with the size of your dreams. It has nothing to do with the capacities of your talent. 
It has nothing to do with your giftedness or abilities. It has nothing to do with what church you go to or come from or have come from. It has nothing to do with what school you've graduated from. It has everything to do with whether or not God is in control of your life or you want to keep in control of your life. Because the spies who didn't want to go into the land of promise wanted to continue to control their own life. And as they looked at controlling their own life and looked at the size of the giants, they simply made an assessment. We can't handle that. But the one, the two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who, who knew that their lives were weak and, 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 uh, and, and unable, they simply looked at the things and said, no, we can't, but God wants us to go there. God's going to give this to us. God's promised this to us. We're going to go and claim it. By faith. We're going to the place of fruit. You want to go there? Do you want to go with us today? Do you want to go to the place of fruit? Or do you want to stay in the place of failure and fear? I want to go to the place of fruit. I want to bear much fruit. I want our church to bear much fruit. That's what God wants for us. That's what he has for us. So the first one is this, love. And by the way, the definition here in the the, uh, original language is helpful because it's very colorful because there are four different kinds of love that could be. But the love that is particularly here is defined this way. It means regularly meeting the need of another at personal inconvenience and discomfort. You see, now, I don't even want to go there. I'm already looking at that and saying, hey, I can't do that. I can't. I didn't sign up for that. That's not the kind of love that I'm looking for. Inconvenient and uncomfortable. Husbands, love your wives at great personal inconvenience. And discomfort. Love your neighbor as yourself. At great inconvenience and discomfort. And if you are sitting out there saying, I can't, you're right. You can't. That's what makes the difference between ordinary people and people who have the Spirit of God in them. Because this is God love. This is his kind of love. He invented this. This is not natural. This is is something that is supernatural that comes from God. This is the kind of love that God has whereby he would send his one and only son to come to earth for people who don't want him, who spit at him, who lashed at him, who whipped him and beat him and don't want anything to do with him. He would send that one and only son to die on a cross so that those people could have salvation, who could experience his love. That's that kind of love. It's inconvenient love. It's very uncomfortable love. It's not the kind of love that comes from feeling or comes from emotion. It wasn't God who who felt like he wanted to give his son as a sacrifice. It was because this is who God is. He so loves the world that he's uncomfortable and inconvenienced by us because he loves us. Often people are saying, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if God even loves me. I don't feel whether he loves me. Listen, if you've ever had a child, there isn't a one of us here who would easily give away our child and sacrifice our child so that someone who spat upon us and beat upon us and hated us and profaned us 
could be brought into our family. There is no greater love than this. Does God love me? He absolutely loves me, and he loves you. He loves the world, and he keeps sending out his gracious message. This weekend is a testament to the grace of God that he would fill this building up with people who scorn him and don't like him and, and won't, don't want anything to do with him and live their lives completely absent from him, and yet he continues to pour out his gracious message of welcome. Come, come to my family. I love you. I want to save you. And this is the kind of love that is to pour out of our lives because we have it. That's why God has every right to command of us, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. He has the right to command us to do this because he enables us to do it. He's already given us the resources to do that. God never asks you, not ever, does he command you to do something he's not prepared to do through you. He's not prepared to give you the resources to do. He says, I ha and my love have moved into your heart. We are there. We've set up camp. Now release that love to those around you. You have the resources. And by the way, Jesus said, this is the distinguishing mark. This is how you know if you belong to me, if you're a disciple of mine, that you love one another. As I have loved you. And furthermore, he's basically saying that everybody around you has the absolute right to challenge your authenticity if you don't love each other from the heart, inconveniently, uncomfortably. They have every right to say, I don't believe there is a God in heaven. And if there is, I don't believe that you know him. I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said. This is how they will know that you are my disciples. Not how many memory verses you can quote. Not how many times you come to church here. Not how gifted you are but that the fruit of the Spirit, starting with love, pours out of your life. You can't do it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He said, if we're going to spend that much time on every one of these other eight, we're going to be here all afternoon. I needed to spend a lot of time on love because it's the champion. It's at the front of the line. You get this right? I think all the rest of this stuff will pour out of your life. Joy. Joy is a lifted heart as a result of staying close to God, knowing that all will be well based on the sure hope of ultimate victory. In the presence of God is joy, the scriptures tell us. And the reason is because the Christian is fueled by sure hope. We are not circumstantial people. We, we, our, our life, our emotions, our framework, our hopes, our aspirations, our goals are not based upon circumstances. Circumstances are just necessary bridges and hurdles and obstacles to get us to sure victory. Every single one of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart are destined to sure victory. That's what our sure hope is about. We're not a hope so, people. I really hope this thing works out. Listen... Jesus Christ is the end of my journey. 
I, I'm settled on this. When I, when I arrived here, I know I've arrived. I know, I'm, I know I'm at the right place. I'm at the place of total fulfilled hope. I know that hoping in Jesus is not, I hope it works out in the end. It is sure hope. I'm as sure as I can be that, that it's a hopeful, victorious ending for all of us. And because of that, our circumstances can't steal our joy. We are people of joy because God is in charge of our lives. We bear the fruit of God being in charge. That's why joy tells everybody that I'm, I'm, I've got a co- God's got it covered in my life. That's what sets us apart. Not only do we have joy, but we have peace. Peace is that deep-seated well-being because of our wholeness in our relationship with God and our fellow humans. If we love God with all of our heart and mind, soul and body, we love our neighbors ourselves. It, it is the fruit of that command. There is peace in our lives. There's no longer turmoil and conflict of heart. There's nothing worse than being out of sorts with God or out of sorts with each other. I hate that. It doesn't feel right for a Christian. We, we never feel right when we're out of sorts with each other. It never sits well. You know, the, the world can be like that. They can hold grudges against people for years and years and years and actually seem to enjoy holding it. You can't be a Christian and like that. you got to get to the place of peace because that's how God has made us. That's how he's wired us. Jesus Christ is the prince of peace, for goodness sakes. So it is... Our nature to be at peace with one another, to have peace with God, and to have peace of God, and to have that peace in our lives, which builds others up around us. It is well with our souls. When it is well with God, and it is well with your fellow believers, it is well with your soul. It's one of my great, my great favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. I love that hymn at a funeral. When you know you're at a funeral service and you know you're with brothers and sisters in Christ and you know that the the loved one who's departed has gone to be with the Lord, you can sing it as well with my soul in a way that is profound, a, a way that is so truthful and so honest because of the sure hope of knowing they are at peace with God. They are at peace with, with the, the brothers and sisters. We're at peace with one another. It is well. With our soul. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he talks about patience. I'm needing the fruit of the Spirit right now. Lord, give me patience right now. You know what I'm saying? Whoever you are, I love you to death. Listen, patience. (laughs) The definition is perfect. Look at it. (laughs) Okay, who's the comic? That's Sam Grant. Anyway, patience is an ability to receive things well and not be easily offended... By the annoying offenses of others. It's the capacity to wait on the Lord. And get this. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it is a a trait that is particularly called for in those who teach God's truth. 
great patience to wait on the Lord. Wouldn't it be amazing, honestly, if we had a church that was so patient with each other and we weren't easily offended by annoying people? You know, each of us are annoying to somebody. We don't mean to be, but we are. So don't be easily offended by my annoying traits. I won't be easily offended by yours. Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. That's what God is like. Think how annoying we are to God. I mean, the perfect one. At least we're not perfect, you know? When someone annoys us, they say, hey, well, you know, I'm not perfect either. But God, how annoying must we be? He just loves us. He's patient with us. If God wasn't patient with me, I, I don't know where I would be today. Where would you be if God wasn't patient with you? And if we are, aren't patient with each other, you know what? We, we, we'll stunt each other's growth. Give each other some room to grow. We're to be patient. We're to be kind. This kind is disposed to be smooth and sweet and not hard, crusty, or prickly. I've coined this as a, sort of a, an idea. An encounter with this kind of person is like being wrapped in memory foam. You know memory foam? Have you tried that stuff? Oh, man, I love that. There's nothing like memory foam. Just sort of like sink into that. I, I like going to stores, department stores that have memory foam beds, just to, just to lay on them for a few minutes. <laughs> just to take out my frustrations. Oh, memory foam. You got memory foam? Okay, I want to lay on that for a second. That's good. That just feels good, you know? That's that kind, this is that kind of person who when you an encounter with them, it's just like being wrapped in memory foam. You like that, Hiram, man? That is, it's, it's just a, that's the kind of people they are. In fact, this, this, it's used in, this, in, in Christ, it says Christ's yoke is, it doesn't chafe, it, it doesn't blister. It's like memory foam. It's kind. Christos. And then there's its cousin, goodness. Sometimes these two are interchangeable, but they're not the same. In fact, goodness is used only four times in the New Testament, this particular word. It, it, this takes memory foam to a whole other level. You see, memory foam is just mere comfort. But you've got to go beyond just mere comfort. You've got to really help. How can I describe the difference between kindness and goodness? Maybe Jesus, as an example, is perfect. When, when the woman came and anointed his feet... He memory foamed her. He was kind to her. But when Jesus cleared the temple of those who were doing bad things, he did so out of his goodness. He did it because people were being abused and mistreated. And so for goodness sake, Jesus cleared the temple. So the kindness is that warm side that's soft and just feels good. And this goodness does something about it to make sure people are not being hurt. Faithfulness. An unshakable trust in God that makes one reliable and trustworthy and credible to promote the truth. 
God enables us to believe by faith. It goes past reliable. It goes to credible. It's that unshakable trust in God because you have God in you. God lives in you. It's the same thing that moved Caleb and Joseph or Joshua. They said, it's God who's telling us. Guys, are you not listening? It's Almighty God who spoke the universe into existence. He says to us that he has a land flowing with milk and honey. He, he wants to take us there. He's going to take us into there. He's going to lead us into there. Guys, trust him. It's particularly important that we trust God or we have no credible message to those around us. They're like, why are you shaking in your boots? Why are you not willing to do what God tells you to do? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so anxious? Why are you not trusting God? It doesn't give us a credible platform. Faithfulness. Steeped in faith. The whole key to spirit-filled living is don't live by fear. Don't live by flesh. Do live by faith. And you will know freedom. Gentleness is a submissive, yielded, and teachable spirit toward God that results in humility and strength under control for loving service. This is the people who are considerate and respectful, but again, it's not soft. It's not wimpish. It's a servant of God for the purpose of serving God. One writer says it's always angry. It reflects always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. There's a time to be angry. There's a time not to be angry. And then finally, self-control. Impulse control and mastery over desires and passions. Emotions are never in charge of one's actions, particularly in sexual disciplines. It's a calm, it's a cool, it's an unflappability that is genuinely sourced in God consciousness, spirit-filling, and what belonging to Christ really looks like. Christ is in charge of my life. Now, if you're like me, that's a daunting list. Who of us, who of us could even begin to say, I got that covered. I can just manufacture all of that in my own strength. In fact, I'll go home and discipline myself this week. I'll take on one of those every day of the week for the next uh, nine days and come back here a new person. This is a fight of our lives by faith in God. That's what this is all about. It is not looking at ourselves or our weaknesses. The very first theses that Martin Luther nailed on the Wittenberg door, the 1500s, was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, in Matthew 4, 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. You know what this is? This is seriously coming before God and admitting that I can't do this, but Lord God, I want so desperately to live by faith and have the fruit of God's godness exude out of my life. We talked about the promises of God. We've talked about the word of God. We've talked about staying close to God, but this is about asking God And I can tell, I can always tell in my own life when I'm 
functioning in the flesh and not in the spirit, I get afraid. It's always the same thing. I, I told the group before this morning, I said that this weekend every year is one of the most daunting weekends of my ministry life every single year. I just feel the intense pressure of the stakes of this weekend. That you, by, um, because of your love for God and your love for your neighbors and your friends and your family, that you go out into the highways and the byways and you try to get people to come here and to hear the gospel. And I take it very seriously. And sometimes I get myself in a state that I, I've got to, I've got to make something happen. I've got to be really good. I've got to, and, and I start realizing that I'm, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm afraid to walk up those stairs. And, I mean, and any given Sunday, I'm not, nah. I trust in God, it's fine. But something about that, the battle going on. And I always know, Rick, you're, you're heading up there in the flesh. You're afraid. And I got to go, I got to go somewhere in this building and go, Lord God, I'm in a flesh moment. I need your spirit to, to take over my life, take charge of my life. And the word of God says, ask for this. Ask him. Ask him. He, says, he said to the, to, the, to the disciples when they were going to be hauled up in front of magistrates or people who were skeptics or people who, who, who scorned the things of God, he said, I'll give you the words to say. And then I know if I get to those steps and I'm not afraid anymore, I know that the Spirit of God is in charge and God's taking over and it's going to be all right. And so it is in our lives. We look at stuff, we look at this living for God and we realize that, whoa, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail again. I've failed before. That's not God. That's your flesh. Ask the Spirit of God to take charge and control your life and fill you with his presence. Your fear will be gone. No failure. By faith, freedom to live for God and to have the fruit of God ooze out of your body. Just pop out. Oh, God, this morning, I just pray for all of us that we would be wonderful exhibits in your garden of the fruit of God popping out all over our lives. God, chase away the flesh that we so regularly default to. We rely there and think we get to pull it together in our own strength, our own savvy, our own talents, our own abilities. Lord, they fail every time miserably because what we're about is God's business. And it's too daunting for us. So I pray, Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit afresh today. We repent. We turn from our flesh and relying on ourselves and our eyes and our ears and our savvy. And we turn to relying upon you alone. You, oh God, are our strength. You give us the joy of our salvation. We praise you in Jesus' name. He tells us how that offering transpires in the very end of that section. Paul writes and says, since you walk in the Spirit, 
keep in step with the Spirit. How does this happen? The picture there of in step with the Spirit means not running ahead of God, not lagging behind God, but the picture there is of a straight line where Christ sets the pace and we all march together in one big, long, straight line exactly equal to each other and we move with Christ. That requires of us keeping our eyes on Jesus and not on all the things around us, not on our flesh, by faith in Christ. That's what it means to bear the fruit of God. But it requires moment by moment keeping an eye on Jesus Christ. Where is he? That's where I want to be. What's he want? That's what I want. What's the timing here? That's my timing. What do I need to say? That's what I'll say. What do I need to believe? That's what I'll believe. What do I need to do right now? That's what I'll do. And we bear much fruit. Our Father, thank you for teaching us. Only you by your power can enact this in our lives. Help us to cooperate with everything you want to do to make us more and more like Christ, transforming us into his likeness. Oh God, we thank you for your great love for us. Now continue to honor yourself. Lord, I pray that you would be a saving God this weekend because you are a saving God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to you. For Jesus' sake, 